Hello and welcome to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast brought to you by the Grandma Sophia's Podcast Network. In this podcast, we watch, review, and discuss two movies randomly selected from a list of over 2,000. Our movies this week are A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and one of Jim's personal favorites, <laughs> Inseminoid. I am okay. your host, Patrick, and I am, of course, joined by the number one Inseminoid fan himself. Jim, that's what they call me. Jim the Inseminoid guy. Wait, no. Yeah, <laughs> Don't call yeah, me that. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, we, we, we got to talk about Inseminoid at some point, but just a heads up before we really get into either one of these movies, if you are someone who enjoys this podcast and wants to hear more of us, feel free to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash in because you'll have access to episodes early as well as access to extended cuts of the episodes as well as monthly commentary tracks keep that in mind as you hear us ramble on about an excellent slasher film and (laughs) well you know if i'm going to say one thing positive about inseminoid it's not as disgusting as the title or the yeah. poster would have you believe. Correct. If I can say one thing about cuz cuz we're starting with a nightmare on Elm Street, right? Yeah, the good one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, if I can say one thing about Inseminoid, I have seen this movie probably twice before. On this rewatch, I thought, "Why did I ever recommend this?" <laughs> I was like, "Why did I think this was good?" I I'm baffled as to why I wanted okay. it to be on our list (laughs) okay well and the the weird thing is it was already on our list but i did find the message you sent oh please read it july 30th 2020 this was back when we were (laughs) it's still in talks we hadn't recorded even an episode yet i was still coming up with the list but at this point we had a pretty good idea of what we kind of were looking to cover on this podcast and you sent a message (laughs) what did i say i know you've got your hands full with a lot of movies but i have a few (laughs) to float by you if they're not in your list. One, Big Trouble in Little China, which, hey, we've covered. Great movie. Two, The Running Man. Three, Inseminoid from 1981. <laughs> Four, Phenomena from 1985, Dario Argento. Five, Forbidden World from 1982, which we've also done now. Yeah. And six, Barbarella, which you described as one of your all-time favorite weird, schlocky, 18-plus rated Star Trek-like things. Yes, yeah. And that is not what I would describe Inseminoid as. <laughs> okay, but but apparently it might have been how you would have described Inseminoid at a time. But but yeah, the, the the embarrassing part is that my response was those were already all on the list. So yes, even Inseminoid. <laughs> well, also I wanna I wanna just let the audience know because this was what did you say July of 2020? Yeah, I want to give a brief glimpse into my life at that period. I was essentially locked down in the countryside outside of a city in England, in northern England. Uh, I was supposed to be working on my master's thesis, but instead I was having cases of beer and whiskey delivered to my residence door. And you were watching Inseminoid. And I was watching shit movies on Amazon Prime. It's what it's there for. And sneaking cigarettes and cigars off a Juliet balcony in my residence. I may have been heavily intoxicated when I watched this and also when I pitched several movies to you. But the other ones weren't bad suggestions. Though, no, of so course. That, that, <laughs> almost in hindsight, Inseminoid seems weirder. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got upset with you, Patrick, a couple episodes ago uh, when we had to cover Saw 3 and... Uh, the Angry Red Planet. Yeah, and, and I was like, this is stupid. I hate this. And now I feel bad because I... <laughs> Pitched in Seminoid. This is exactly how I knew it would happen, too. 
I, I like knew you were going to be disappointed by it because I've seen it before also. And I remember thinking it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it could have been, especially title poster. Because for those of you that don't know, the poster is just a largely naked woman lying down <laughs> with cleavage visible and people in spacesuits staring at what appears to be a monster emerging from her uh, from her forbidden world, if, if from, we were to refer to another movie title. Um, from her angry red planet, yeah. Yes, from from her from her furious red red planet but yes so i guess yeah i mean if you take into account that's the poster i don't quite think that's really what the movie is no when i get to that scene i have some insight to give you oh no on that scene but yeah so my apologies patrick and any listeners if you like to watch movies that that we watch and follow along i'm sorry that you've watched inseminoid well, you should at least be thankful that we covered one good movie because The Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, is a very good movie. It's arguably the best Nightmare on Elm Street film. I still prefer the original, but it's close. And I definitely understand. I think it, this maybe has more rewatchability than the original because mm-hmm. so much of the original is like, okay, no one even knows who Freddy is. So there's like a lot of this like, oh, who is this guy? What's the, what's this deal? But like... If you've seen the series before, if you've seen any of the movies, it's just like kind of, come on, get on with it. We know it's Freddy. Yeah. That's the beauty of like some of those Jason sequels. It's just like, oh, yeah, it's just a, the guy shows up and kills people. Like there's, no, there's not, not really a lot, of, a lot of story there. Yeah. And, and Dream Warriors, you have interesting characters and interesting setting. That's really where this shines. I mean, there's the creativity in the, in the set design and the dream sequences. And there's some good filmmaking. Mm-hmm. But Absolutely. I think the characters really stand out, too. I mean, the characters were good in the original, or at least the main character was, right, Nancy? she. I think I might like her even more in this movie. Well, yeah, I mean, I like her, but maybe not her acting. I think this her is acting the, falls This flat. is the opposite of of our opinions on the, on the first film. You said she was great, and I said she sucked. I said I like the character. I said she's not a good actress, and you're like, no, she's very good. Said, what? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I she have sucks never in that original. I, she's better in this one. She's not great. No, um, Heather no. She is better in this movie. I don't think so. All of her lines are like, "But they are experiencing it. Don't you understand?" Why does she sound like Doctor Evil? I because <laughs> I'm Canadian. So yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street three. Directed by Chuck Russell, who would go on to direct the Blob remake from the 80s, as well as The Mask. So for uh-huh. a while, anyways, he was a pretty successful director. He res- he directed Eraser, an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that I've never seen. But then I looked at what he's been doing recently, and his last film was a 2022 film starring both John Travolta and Bruce Willis. So I think we all know where Chuck Russell's career went, because well, that is... 
That's, oh man, both of those guys in the same movie? Also, poor Bruce Willis, just diagnosed with dementia. You're right, he has an excuse, Travolta doesn't. No, yeah, Travolta's a fucking hack. I don't know what happened to him. He just gives off that creepy, greasy vibe right now, and I don't know what he's doing with his life. But yeah, uh, Chuck Russell has made multiple recent films with star John Travolta, so, you know, these are garbage films. We well, and, don't and let's do it. put star in air quotes there. Star John Travolta. Right. <laughs> but... Chuck Russell apparently also gave The Rock his first big starring role because he directed The Scorpion King. (laughs) Mummy Returns is The Rock's first movie. Scorpion King is the first movie where he's top billed, I would imagine. Yeah, I think so, yeah. (laughs) That's, yeah, I think that's a movie The Rock would probably rather forget. He made Skyscraper. That is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my exactly. life. Exactly. So, it's, yeah. it's, it's not like The Rock has ever made like a great movie. He has some movies that are like better than others, but I don't think The Rock should look at any particular movie and be ashamed of it because I think they're all relatively close in quality. Well, Skyscraper for sure. And then what was the monkey movie that he was in? The movie where he was like friends with a giant monkey, like a giant ape? Oh, Rampage. That one, yeah. Plenty to be ashamed about. <laughs> but anyways, this film also has four credited writers... There's Frank Darabont, who's a future Academy Award winner for, um, he directed and wrote The Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile. He's obviously a big Stephen King guy because he also wrote and directed The Mist. Yes, yeah. And there's a guy named Bruce Wagner. Chuck Russell's also a writer. And Wes Craven has a screenwriting credit, not just like a character is created by. And I think he wrote the first draft. You know, he had nothing to do with the second Elm Street movie. He was kind of looking to maybe get back involved with the series, with this third one. But they kind of took his script and just vastly changed it. And then so he ended, at the end of the day, he didn't really have much to do with this movie, but oh, okay. he was kind of a starting point. Is the is the Nightmare on Elm Street series still going strong? Or, or what was the last movie? The last one was the remake. There are rumors of an Elm Street movie coming out in the next year or two, but... I feel like that's you've probably been able to say that for the last five years. You know, we'll see what happens, but the Halloween series coming back, I think, has kind of opened a lot of doors for these these kinds of things. But then, you know, in theory, many of those doors were shut by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre coming back. So I don't know. We'll see. But can't imagine Robert England would be involved really in any way. Because he's got to be in his 70s now. Mm -hmm. He did play Freddy in an episode of the Goldbergs. If you want to put that on your resume, (laughs) Mr. England, I guess you can. Well, he was also a playable character in a Call of Duty Nazi zombie game. Really? Yeah, it was him and some other horror people. But you got to play as Robert England and you were shooting Nazi zombies. And he was like, take that. I'm going to come to your dreams and kill you. And he had like all kinds of little catchphrases he would yell. He had to have said the word bitch a number of times. Oh, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. He's up there with Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad in terms of just mastery of the word bitch. And this is the movie where it really comes to full fruition with Freddy. This is the movie really where Freddy's not a full-on comedy character, but he's very clearly having fun with what he's doing. And he's going to crack some jokes. He's going to make some puns. While he's still doing pretty horrific stuff. (laughs) But this is a movie that I think a lot of people will point to for, like, the perfect balance of, like, horror and comedy in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Not to the extent that it's a true horror comedy, Mm -hmm. 
But Freddy, you know, he's got a personality, and that's the one thing that, not it's not the one thing, but it's one big thing that differentiates him from a Jason or a Michael Myers or The Burning, you know, so many of these other slasher movies where it's just like a guy in a mask who doesn't say anything. Freddy's out there talking, he's trying to intimidate people, he's trying to piss people off. It's great. So the movie begins with an Edgar Allan Poe quote, a bold strategy, I think we can (laughs) all agree there. Yeah. And then we pick up with a new character, Kristen, played by future Academy Award winner Patricia Arquette, as she makes a model of Nancy's house from the original Nightmare on Elm Street out of paper mache and popsicle sticks. Yeah, pretty impressive work. She's downing, like, instant coffee. Is that what that is? Where she's just, like... Yeah. Eating it by the spoonful? Yeah, it's fucking disgusting. Who would do that? I like Probably. <laughs> That's the scariest thing in this movie. I'm trying to think if I have a good response to that. Let's see, OJ's not in this movie. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, it might be. Um, can you leave the can you leave all of this in when you're editing this? <laughs> it's really late. It's like one in the morning or something, two in the morning. She's got really loud music on. This is music by the band Dokken, who I get I think You'd probably describe them as hair metal. They do the theme song, which we don't hear until the end credits, but great horror movie tie-in song. I think it's it's definitely one of my favorites in that niche genre of, <laughs> of uh, horror movie rock songs. So Kristen's mother shows up. She comes home. She says, hey, listen, it's really late. You got to go to bed. And she's trying to say, like, oh, I'm having these bad dreams again. And she's she, The mom doesn't want to hear it. The mom's sick of it. And then we also see, or hear, rather, that... Part of the reason she's just trying to get Kristen to bed is she brought a man home with her. Kristen does fall asleep, and she wakes up outside the full-blown house that she's been recreating, the, the 1428 Elm Street house. I think this maybe is the point in the series where it starts to get confusing, because it, it was always Nancy's house. Mm-hmm. But now I guess it's like kind of like Freddy's house, sort of. Like, you know, it's kind of... yeah. If, if Freddy haunts this in dreams, why would he do that? That's just like some lady he chased around for a while. That's just where she lived. I want to mention, I love in this scene when she actually does fall asleep, how the the music changes from kind of like standard movie fare to this kind of ethereal, spooky Freddy dream world music. Like as soon mm-hmm. as she, as like as soon as she, her head hits the pillow kind of thing. It's a great. It's a really well done transition overall because she's just in bed. We've already seen all around her room. She's in bed and like a leaf hits her or something. Mm -hmm. And then she like sits up and turns around. And then suddenly, you know, she's still in the bed, but behind the bed is just this house. It's just really neat, cool visual way to give us that first transition into the dream world. And this, of course, the house is run down. So is the former owner, if we see uh, John Saxon later. But (laughs) we also see the, the classic jump rope kids, you know, doing the one, two, Freddy's coming for you thing. And then Kristen sees a girl at the front door who's on a little tricycle. The little girl goes inside. Kristen tells her not to because, you know, the vibe is wrong here. But she follows her in, and she's looking for her. Again, this house, really creepy. Classic haunted house maze-type look to everything. Yeah. Eventually finds a little girl. It's like in the basement where, like, the furnace goes on, and she says, Freddy's here or freddy's home or whatever so she picks up the little girl she goes running she gets stuck in the mud in one instance where it's like uh it's like tar she's like kind of running in place for a while Mm -hmm. and this is actually the first time we see freddy in the movie because he's running up 
behind her. Earlier in the scene, we saw him in shadow. This is kind of a, I, I, it's kind of an underwhelming, like, he, when he first shows up, he's just kind of in the background running, and it's like, not that awesome or exciting, but. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it would have been cooler if he, if the first time we saw him was later, where she's looking in the mirror. Yeah, you know, well, I think it can even be this scene. I think he just needs a, a better. Introduction. You know, yeah, just a better shot, like a better, I mean, he's the villain, but a hero shot kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, like the Avengers, I get it. So Kristen gets away from Freddy, and she runs into this room where there's a bunch of people just hanging up like they're, like it's in a meat freezer or something, meat locker. And then she looks down, and the little girl is a skeleton, which is pretty nasty. Gross. And then she seemingly wakes up. She's back in her bedroom. She gets up to go to the bathroom when she sees, as you mentioned, Freddy in the mirror, and she suddenly starts to get attacked by everything in the bathroom, the sink, all that stuff, and Freddy cuts her wrist, but when, in all this commotion, when Nancy's mother goes in to see what's going on, it appears as if, or I said Nancy's mother, didn't I? Damn it, Kristen. Uh, Nancy's mother's dead. She died in her (laughs) sleep. We get that line later. But when Kristen's mother goes in, it appears that Kristen has cut her own wrist. So it looks like she's attempting suicide here. So here's my question. Is this the first time in the Elm Street series that Freddy hurts somebody in the dream world, but in the real world, like... I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this, because, like, whenever he attacks somebody in a dream, right, somebody will have, like, a mark on them, but... You know, they're not holding a knife in the real world. I think I know where you're going. I think I know where you're going with this, where, like, it appears that something else happened in the real world. Yeah. Tina, in the first one. Freddy kills her, and we see her dying in the real world, and there's, like, no possible explanation for how she died. She gets pulled up onto the ceiling, and, you know, it's it's not like Freddy put an axe in her boyfriend's hand or something. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, it's, yeah, this is a little... It's all supernatural in the in the previous movies, whereas here, yeah, I guess, it's like th- there's I like guess a real this is world. The first time. There's like a real world item that a character has grabbed that we don't see, and they're injuring themselves. Whereas you know, before it was their guts would get cut open and they'd fall all over the floor or whatever, right? From a, from an invisible hand. Yeah, this is probably the first time we see that in the series. I don't know how often we see it in future movies. I think it's kind of well, it definitely happens throughout this film because you know, for them to say every everything's a suicide, basically. But so we pick back up at Weston Hills, this psychiatric hospital, with Dr. Neil Gordon, played by Craig Wasson, however you say that name, the guy from Body Double, the guy who looks exactly like Bill Maher. <laughs> yeah. He's not great, but he's like, he's got like two major roles in like significant movies. You'd think I would have heard of him more, like he would have done, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this, I say significant movies. This is, it, it's a Freddy movie, right? I mean, it's, yeah, it's it, it was a big hit, and it, it I think most fans would consider it one of the best Freddy movies, but it's still a Freddy movie. It's not like a launching pad for, not everyone can be Johnny Depp, you know? No, but he's like the actor who, like a, who a company hires, and they're like, hey, let's find somebody who looks vaguely famous like somebody famous and who's a pretty decent actor to start. Well, Bill Maher wasn't famous at this point. Yeah, no, but I'm saying like, you know, he's got that, like he had like that eighties leading man look. I think he's got a supporting man look all over. (laughs) Oh no. 
Let's, let's put it this way. There's a reason that at one point or another, there was a written love story for Dr. Gordon and Nancy. And there's a reason there's only vague remnants of it in the actual movie. I know that was written. I think it might have even been filmed and they just decided it just didn't work. But you can definitely see traces of it in the movie, but I think it's largely just not there anymore. How old is um, uh, Heather Langenkamp at this point? She's probably early 20s. I think she's about about like 20 or so, 1920 in the original Nightmare on Elm Street, so that would make her, what, 23, something like that. Oh, uh, yeah, and he was probably in his close to 40s. Probably. Eh, okay, I get it. Listen, if Roger Moore can be with Tanya Roberts, you know. <laughs> so Dr. Gordon, we see his little routine. He, he seems to have a good rapport with all the kids that he's dealing with. We can kind of see a little bit about each kid, but we still don't really meet them in their entirety yet because Dr. Gordon gets called in to help with a suicidal patient who has been brought in. This is, of course, Kristen. We are told that Kristen was okay. She was absolutely just fine until they were going to sedate her. And then she got violent. She grabs a scalpel. She cuts Lawrence Fishburne in the arm when he goes to try and stop her. And then, you know, terrified, she starts singing that little Freddy jump rope song until Nancy comes out of nowhere and completes the song. And this gets her to calm down and she goes and and hugs her. And Nancy here is a graduate student and she's working on something to do with pattern nightmares and dr gordon is kind of surprised that someone who's such a hot shot in the psychiatric graduate school programs would would just come to this hospital to like she's basically an intern yeah i think that's exactly what they call her an intern yeah she's she's not a full-on doctor so it's like why would she want to come here but obviously She's got her own agenda. She's got her Freddy agenda. And so the next scene we have, it's just Dr. Gordon and Nancy talking. Dr. Gordon, again, we get a sense of he really likes these kids. He cares about them, but he just doesn't know how to help them because they have all these nightmares and then none of them want to sleep and there's all this stuff. He also finds out that Nancy has is taking a drug called Hypnosil because it falls out of her purse at one point. And he later on researches it and finds that It has not been approved by the FDA. It is an experimental drug, but it is meant to suppress dreams, so to keep you from dreaming. I also just looked it up, and it's a fictitious drug. I was hoping it was real. Oh, yeah, I knew it was fictitious. (laughs) I was like, is this real? (laughs) We still, I think, by and large, don't really know what causes dreams. I don't think we could ever have a drug that says, hey, don't dream. You know, I don't don't (laughs) think that could happen. Yeah, you're probably right. Dr. Gordon also notices a creepy old nun staring at him from across <laughs> the courtyard at one point and then she disappears so nancy gets a chance to meet all the kids or at least some of the kids and then she meets all of them in the group we've got philip who's this kid who's into marionettes he builds his own marionettes he said they should be made out of wood but they won't let him use any wood in in uh what would you use to carve into wood a knife of some sort yes yeah they won't give him a knife because he might yeah. kill himself There's Kincaid, who's just sassy and gets thrown in the quiet room a lot. He's also clearly, I mean, it becomes clear later on when everyone has their, like, dream powers, but he's supposed to be, like, the big tough kid, Mm -hmm. and he's kind of just fat. (laughs) Like, he's not that muscular. He's just fat and sassy. Yeah, he's kind of heavy. He's not really in great shape, and, and I've seen 
Yeah, I think it must have been from the Elm Street documentary where, like, he was, like, worried about auditioning for this role because he's like, I'm kind of pudgy. They want, like, a muscular dude. (laughs) But, hey, he got the role. (laughs) Good for him. And there's, uh, what's that fucker's name? You you already know which one's my least favorite kid. Uh, I I don't, but... uh... It's the fucking nerd in the wheelchair (laughs) who doesn't shut up about his Dungeons & Dragons shit. (laughs) Will, I think, is that his name? I think that's it. Yeah, I, fucking I didn't write hate any of their names kid. down. I don't care. So, so you hate kids in wheelchairs so much no. that, that your hatred is carried forward into this movie. <laughs> this kid, he jumped off a bridge, and that's why he's in a wheelchair now, right? He, he tried to commit suicide. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But I don't, I'm not hating on him for that. I'm hating on him because he claims he's the wizard master in his dreams, and he's just a pitiful child, uh, really, at the end of the day. <laughs> Yeah. Well, actually, when I watched this movie, not to date this episode or anything, but when I watched this the other night, another kid who's not in a wheelchair, but who worked at Lowe's has just made national news or international news, rather, because he was like lifting a box down off a shelf that was like 25 pounds and he was screaming for help. He's like, help me, help me. But he sounded exactly like this fucking kid and also had glasses. I am the wizard master. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so that's why I didn't like this kid. But he's a fine kid, you know. I, yeah, wouldn't, I wouldn't hold sucks. anything against him. Oh, I would. When he gets killed in the notes, I, I, I wrote down he's finally killed. I think, <laughs> when that comes up. So spoilers for an hour later into the movie. We've also got Taryn, who's this beautiful woman who's had some kind of drug problems in the past. Mm-hmm. Which we see with some real creep who works at the hospital who's trying to like seduce her by like saying he's got the keys to the dispensary and so it's like really creepy stuff like <laughs> but yeah uh taryn taryn's a lot of fun kincaid's a lot of fun we get who's the girl with the round face what's her name but her thing is she wants to be on television and she also burns herself with cigarettes to keep herself awake jennifer and then obviously Kristen. we said philip and there's also joey i'm not a big joey guy joey's just a little yeah you know they say he like the line is he doesn't talk much, so it's not that he can't talk. So he literally doesn't say anything for like the entirety of this movie, basically. But he very clearly has a crush on one of the nurses in this hospital, mm-hmm. and you know, rightfully so. I'll go, go. He's got good taste. I'll give him that. <laughs> Although Taryn is right there, and Taryn's probably a bit more attainable. Probably, yeah, but she's a little too cool for him. In these group sessions, these are actually kind of run by another doctor, who's this. I guess she's kind of our nurse ratchet. She's very set in her ways, and she's not open to what these kids all, you know, they they all think that, because these people are all suffering from Freddy nightmares. I think Will even says, like, you know, no one here seems to notice or care. They they say that this is collective delusion, but no one seems to notice or care that we all dreamt about this guy long before we met. Yeah. Yeah, so this other doctor is Dr. Sims. She's just kind of an older frumpy woman who is constantly angry and frustrated with the kids and butts <laughs> heads with them and, and throws Kincaid in the quiet room whenever he acts up. Well, and by him acting up, he's like, he's calling people a bitch. And <laughs> Oh yeah. It's, it's all this like, fuck you and stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. he's great. Yeah. He's he a lot great. of fun. So Nancy tries to get Dr. Gordon to prescribe hypnosil when they're out at dinner at out to dinner at a thai restaurant the only thai restaurant in springwood 
And he doesn't like the idea. He says, that, you know, these are all vulnerable kids. Giving them an experimental drug is pretty dangerous. And I hope you know what you're doing when you're taking that. We see at night that these kids have, like, their own systems for, like... And so we see Will and Joey have this, like, system. Like, one of you st- one of us stays awake, the other one sleeps, and then they'll switch off. But Kincaid does not have the same kind of partnership with Philip Because Philip. Poor old Philip, who looks a bit like Corey Feldman with his life together a little bit more. You know who he looks like? He looks like that kid that they cast in Stranger Things with the with the mouth with the mouth problem. You mean the kid who misses teeth? Who's missing teeth? Yeah, is that that a mouth problem? Yeah, he's just missing teeth. No, no, he's missed teeth. Listen, he's got an actual problem. Hold on, Gaten Matarazzo. Yeah, yeah, he's got like some kind of like degenerative issue, doesn't he? I don't know. I just thought he's a funny-looking kid. No, he's got some kind of actual medical issue. But yeah, th- that's who he looks like. I think he looks like a blonder Corey Feldman. Blonder, okay. better-looking Corey Feldman. But <laughs> at any rate, we get an awesome scene where Freddy acts as one of the puppets that he's made, and he cuts himself free from those strings that are hanging him there. And there's a little stop-motion Freddy marionette moving around before he grows to be actual Robert England size, and he attacks Philip. And then in some pretty gross and amazing special effects, Philip gets pulled up out of bed by his veins. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Actually, it's really cool. I love this stuff. It's so cool. And it, and it's really neat. Like, we do a good balance of we see him in the real world. It just looks like he's sleepwalking, which I suppose I didn't mention. That's his other thing. He sleepwalks and he's into marionettes. Those are his two personality traits. Um <laughs> And um, so it just looks like he's sleepwalking, but we also cut back to these shots of him being pulled. You see his arms are out in front of him. He's not walking on his own. No, and he he doesn't look like he's enjoying it. No, yeah, it's intense pain on his face. And somehow he's able to just go through a locked room, like apparates through it. Like that. there's no real explanation for that, even in the context of you know, what Freddy does to you in the dream happens in real life. There's not really an explanation for him just, you know, for that. Mm-hmm. But he's taken to atop the tower at this hospital, and Freddy is basically dangling him kind of over the edge. And that's when Joey sees him. Joey wakes up. Joey still unwilling to talk, unwilling to use his voice to help. Yeah, he's a dink. He shows Will the window, and then he goes and runs, and he wakes everyone up, and everyone gets to the window, and they're all screaming. But then Freddy, a giant Freddy, takes his claw glove and just swipes it across, cutting off the vain marionette strings, letting Philip fall to his death. At the next group session, (laughs) things get pretty contentious. Dr. Gordon is flat out like Philip killed himself. He's a coward. Like, it's yeah, a little yeah. Bloody. I was like, wow. Yeah, okay. a little, yeah. little, you know, he's little coming mean. in hot. We also have a scene, I don't remember if it's before or after this, um, where Nancy goes to Kristen's mom's house to ask her some questions because she's trying to figure out, you know, more about this dream stuff. Kristen's mom is being a real bitch. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Then Nancy's goes to like pick up Kristen's stuff and bring it over there, and she sees her house in the paper mache popsicle stick form. Kristen also falls asleep and has a dream where she's back in that house. She gets attacked by a giant Freddy worm or Freddy snake. That that's one of the coolest scenes, for sure. It's yeah. done so well. 
she walks into like this room in the house and well first off there's all kinds of gross things there's like a dead rotting pig carcass on the table for dinner and that it gives her a her. jump scare when it moves and yeah but then she walks into this room and it must have all been done practically right but the way all the drywall is like pulled off the wall around the whole room is just so cool. And then this mm-hmm. Freddy snake is moving under the carpet and bursts through the floor to eat her. Uh, it's just lo- it just looks great. Such an amazing scene full of awesome effects. Yeah, the shot when she gets lifted up by that giant Freddy worm prop and then falls back onto her back. That's just such a cool shot. It is, yeah. It's so fluid. And she's basically being eaten alive by this Freddy worm. And she screams for Nancy. Nancy ends up falling through a chair and ends up in Kristen's dream. She picks up a piece of broken glass, stabs the Freddy worm, which in turn releases Kristen. The two of them run away, and then I guess they're just able to wake up. But when we next see Nancy, she's talking to Kristen about what just happened. And she's like, have you ever been able to do that before? And Kristen said when she was a little kid, if she was having a nightmare, she used to somehow pull her father into the nightmares and he would help her. And then the next morning, he thought it was just like, you know, just normal dream stuff. Mm -hmm. But she hasn't done that in years now, even though apparently she has some kind of weird supernatural fantastical power. (laughs) So, so again, going back to the group after Philip died, things get heated Dr. Sims is ready to throw Kincaid into the uh, into the quiet room probably again. <laughs> Dr. Gordon finally grows some balls and says he's prescribing hypnosil. For, for being an experimental drug, Dr. Sims already knows what it is. So, you know, but she's she's just like, listen, if you do that, this is all this all this shit is on you. I, I had nothing to do with this. They basically have to act, act on all this stuff without her knowledge which we see later, but we also get Jennifer, her famous death scene, which is amazing, and it's kind of hilarious. So Jennifer... It's very funny. <laughs> so Jennifer is in her common, is in the common room. She's watching TV. Again, this is research. She wants to be a big TV star. TV sucked in the 80s, too, let's be honest. Yeah, but you had the Dick Cavett show. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. So she's she's flipping through channels. She's got the Dick Cavett show. Dick Cavett is interviewing Zsa Zsa Gabor. What yeah. do you know about either one of these people? Let's oh. start with Dick Cavett. Do you know anything about Dick Cavett? Dick Cavett, I don't know much other than he had a talk show, and he was considered one of the big talk shows in the yeah, 80s he was and early 90s. Was he as comedic as like a Carson? Was he like a late now, or was he more just talk show? I think he was more talk show. I believe. Okay. He was definitely no, like, David Letterman. Yeah, I think Cavett might have been a comedian. I'm not really sure. But now what do you know about Zsa Zsa Gabor, other than that is one of the most fun names to say? The only thing I know is that I think she was from, like, Eastern Europe or, like, like Hungary or something. I want to say Hungary, yes. I'm not 100% sure. And that she became, like, an actress in America? I think. Sort of. And she was just like a bit of a socialite, but she was a very kind of uh, airy, odd, eccentric woman. I thought of this comparison a long time ago, and I think it's perfect. The Gabors, because there were a few of them. One of them, I think, was on Green Acres. The Gabors were the Kardashians of their day. Ugh, don't say that. That, that, that. No, they were famous for being famous. They weren't really accomplished or talented people. They were kind of just famous and rich. And that's really what this and is. Beautiful. 
And then Dick Cavett, supposedly, when they reached out to him to do a cameo, this is from the Elm Street documentary, they're like, hey, who do you want to interview? And he's like, oh, okay, let me think. And he's like, I want to interview someone I would absolutely never interview in real life. So, so he's like, <laughs> I picked the dumbest person I could think of. And, it's, and he came to Jean-Jacques Gabor, which uh. makes this cameo hilarious, is that they're basically making fun of Jean-Jacques Gabor. Because in, in the context of the interview, it is like... He's asking her, "Is like okay, so what? What do you think makes a successful actress? Like, how do how do you become successful as an actor? Is is like practicing important?" And she goes on and on, and it's like, but she doesn't know any of that stuff. So they are kind of making fun of her, and then they cut back to Dick Cavett, who is now Freddy Krueger, and he gets goes, "Who who gives a fuck what you think or whatever?" He says something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Jennifer, meanwhile, is then she approaches the television. Freddy's head emerges from the top of the television in an effect I love. I love that, like, That's, elasticity. That, that stretching that effect. Yes, it looks so cool. And then when they cut back to it's just his head there. The makeup that they have, like, around his neck to, like, blend it into the TV is great. Mm-hmm. And then he, he develops, you know, mechanical television arms <laughs> to pick her up. And he says, this is it, Jennifer, your big break on TV. Welcome to primetime, bitch. And then smashes her head into the television, killing her. Lawrence Fishburne is first on the scene. And yeah, it's 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 it, they were smart to not have a scene in group therapy talking about how this was a suicide. Yeah, but because there's the, no, well, it's like the funniest looking thing on the planet. Like this television is hung in like lots of mental hospitals you see, or even like a hospital. Like a television is hung like eight feet up the wall, and this poor girl is hanging by her head, which is <laughs> neck deep in this television, and she's just dangling off the floor there. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's it's a very funny scene. It always bothered me though. I know the line is supposed to be "Welcome to primetime, bitch." But it never has sounded like that to me. It sounds like cut to primetime bitch. It sounds like there's only one sello- syllable before to primetime bitch. Yeah, because it's, like, it's like that come voice. Come to primetime bitch, cut to primetime bitch. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I thought he said. Come to primetime bitch. That's what it sounds like. But everyone says the line is welcome. Like IMDb has welcome to primetime bitch as one of the quotes. And it's like, I guess, I guess I'm just hearing it wrong. I don't know. But I guess you're hearing it wrong too. So maybe we're right and everybody else is wrong. Whether it's right or wrong, it's Freddy's signature line. It's his best pun. He's got some good ones, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a great line. <laughs> Whatever the fuck he says, it's a great line. This is it, Jennifer. Your big break in TV. Welcome to prime time, bitch. So the next scene is Jennifer's funeral slash burial. Dr. Gordon wanders off, again, seeing the creepy nun. And he speaks with her a bit, and she says that there's only one way to put a stop to whatever is going on. She's like, there's this abomination against man and God, and it needs to find a final resting place in hallowed ground or something. He doesn't really know what she's talking about. There's They also do a thing where Nancy comes and talks to him, and he's like, oh, I was just busy talking to, and then there's no woman there. And then, you know, so only he can see this nun for whatever reason. Yeah. But yeah, again, we get this kind of... Just a few tiny glimpses of, are Nancy and Neil Gordon kind of dating? Well, it's weird, because then they're, like, hanging out a lot. They're sitting in front of a fireplace together. They have a pretty romantic firelit dinner, yeah. Again, I'm pretty sure they filmed this to be more of a love story, and then they just 
took out a lot of the scenes because they said they felt it didn't work. Uh, the age difference was probably a factor. Maybe Heather Langenkamp's acting was a bigger one. I don't know, <laughs> but it's it, but it's weird that. Uh the remnants we have are just like romantic candlelit dinners <laughs> because because that seems so extreme yeah i'm like why wouldn't you just reshoot like reshoot it unless you just ran out of time right or money it costs money it costs money it costs time it's actually it's in this romantic candlelit dinner scene romantic fi- not even well there's i'm sure there's candles <laughs> but they've got a fire going in nancy's apartment or maybe Neil's apartment. It's Nancy's apartment because she's got the Malaysian dream doll. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And uh, it looks like Genji from the from the first Puppet Master. She's like, listen, do you trust me? Do you trust me to run a group session? Like at this point, you don't know what to do to make these kids better. Just like, trust me. We'll get these people on Hypnosil. Well, at this point, the Hypnosil hasn't arrived, right? Even if it's been prescribed. So they let her run. A group session. This is away from Dr. Sims. This is an unofficial group session where Nancy comes clean with who Freddy is, why he's after these kids, and, and she says, it's not anything you did. It's what your parents did. Your parents, my parents, all these people banded together to kill this guy, and now you are the last of the Elm Street children. Yeah, now, does that ever change? Like, does that, does Freddy's motivation ever change? I don't know. I mean, he kind of just starts killing people after a while. Yeah, I don't know. Because in, um, in Freddy vs. Jason, which, you know, that's a not the most canon-respecting film, maybe, in certain cases, but... Oh, yeah? <laughs> but, well, but like, Monica Kina, the main actress in that movie, they definitely had something. Her dad had something to do. They knew about Freddy, so it's, I think it's maybe implied that the, his, her dad was involved in killing Freddy as well, because her dad is involved in trying to get everybody in town to forget about Freddy. Mm. And then when Freddy almost like rapes her and like licks her face, he, he says like you were always my favorite. It's like, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> they eventually run a kind of group hypnosis thing, and they're going to try and get Kristen to pull all of them into their dreams. They think at first that it doesn't work because nobody feels any different. Joey wanders off because he goes and sees the nurse beckoning for him, and then everyone else back in the group room realizes, oh, we actually are asleep. We are in a dream. And then suddenly everyone has their dream powers. Everyone except Dr. Gordon, basically. Well, I guess Nancy doesn't have dream powers either. So Will's the wizard. Will's, Will's dream powers. Well, he's got two because here he can walk. And he's also the wizard master. <laughs> and then, um, I mean, he's, he doesn't play Dungeons and Dragons in this movie because probably copyright reasons, but... Dunson's Dragons was huge at the time, so that's clearly what they're going for. He yeah. plays, like, some knockoff game called, like, the Wizard Master or something. He plays it with Joey and Taryn at one point. Kincaid's power is he's strong because he's, like, bending these chair legs, even though when you see him pick up the chair, like, one of the legs is already kind yeah, of... Yeah, I know. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. the best prop in the world, but... Um, <laughs> Taryn's dream power is she's just, like, a badass punk chick. Who's like dual wielding like switchblades? Switchblades, and she's got this like mohawk thing. Awesome outfit. Joey's dream power is that he's a horny boy. Well, that's his <laughs> real life power too. But it's, yeah, no, Joey he finds his dream power eventually. But Kristen's dream power is she's got a pretty cool stunt man who's able to do backflips and stuff like that. Dude, that pissed me off so much. I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh wow, you can do that in your dream. Good for you, fucking idiot. 
Everybody else what? is bending chair legs or turning turning balls into butterflies or giving yeah, themselves well, mohawks. Listen, any power is cooler than the Wizard Master. Let's be honest. Uh, that excuse is me, the her, lamest he turned power. a silver ball into a butterfly. I'm behind that. Yeah, but he can also walk. Why does he get two powers? Because yeah, because he's a cripple. Also, Taryn's powers aren't really powers. Yeah, she just put on she a just leather has jacket. A, and she her. just has a, a change of look. <laughs> no, dude, she got two knives. That's the most powerful power that they have. But yeah, so, and then we see also Joey going over to visit this nurse who's seducing him. And she takes off her clothes, she put, she is on top of him on the bed. And then she pulls out his tongue and uses it to, like, tie his limbs to the bedposts. Because it is revealed that this nurse is actually Freddy. There is a behind-the-scenes shot, which this didn't make it into into the movie, but they're most definitely, they did a test shot or a test uh, makeup for a topless woman with Freddy Byrne makeup on her face. And and it just looked ridiculous, (laughs) so they just didn't include it in the movie. But (laughs) those images are out there. I've seen them. And, uh, yeah, so Joey is stuck here. And then... When Dr. Sims comes upon this unauthorized hip, hypnotism. Hypno circle. <laughs> yes, when she stumbles upon this, she wakes everybody up and then they're like, okay, but where's Joey? So Joey is in a coma and Dr. Gordon finally loses his job. It's about time. He's had two <laughs> kids get killed this week. He's got one in a coma. Listen, we know he's trying his best, but it would be pretty insane if he wasn't fired at this point. <laughs> When Neil is leaving, having been sacked, he follows he follows that mysterious nun into an abandoned wing of the hospital, and he's like, you know, what what is this place? Like, I heard this was like all closed down in the forties or something. She gives a big exposition dump on it was shut down when a woman who worked there was accidentally locked in over a weekend and she was raped hundreds of times by all these criminally insane people and they like kept her hidden and then when they when they finally got her out she was pregnant with freddie so freddie is born of they don't even know who the father is right but it's just some crazy person which i think is kind of neat i like the uh i mean if you're going to go do like a oh, Freddy had to be, like, born evil kind of thing, which you really, you don't have to do that. He can just kind of become evil or he can just yeah. be a bad person. I think, like, a, a fucked up backstory like this is pretty cool. Well, you know, I'm glad you used the term fucked up because that's really what this is. It's fucked up. Well, yeah. You know, and that's what that's what really drives the point home. You know, you got this fucked up guy who was born fucked up from a fucked up reason. Because you could just have it, he was... He was born normal and then his father beat him or so you know which is kind of what they do in freddy's dead when alice cooper's is dead but you know um you know that's kind of the rob zombie halloween route is he's just like got a stupid dad who's like a white trash guy and I, there's a there's a lot of different ways you could do it and mm. i think they found a pretty interesting one yeah that's definitely the word i'd use interesting or you know disgusting there's well. also in, um, I think it's the fifth movie, maybe it's the fourth one, Alice, who's the main character in that one, has a dream where she's in the hospital as Freddy's mom, oh, like, no. locked locked in with all these inmates, and there's a neat shot when you can tell one of the inmates is Robert England, and it's like, okay, I wonder who Freddy's dad was, <laughs> you know, it's this <laughs> guy who he ended up looking exactly like, uh, so that's kind of neat, too, but yeah, so... Sister Mary Helena tells 
Dr. Gordon that everyone says Freddy's murdered, but no one knew where the body was. The body was never found. So he needs to bury the body in hallowed ground. This is, I believe, the first any this is the first we've heard of his body not being found in the series. Yeah, because I think before this, we just heard that he was burned, right, to to ashes or whatever, or just burned. Yeah, burned by all these parents. And it, it, it makes sense that the body was never found, because otherwise, wouldn't we have gotten some of these parents? Wouldn't John Saxon have faced murder charges or something? Yeah, you yeah. know, so it makes sense. John Saxon or maybe Kristen's mother, I guess she was involved. That little wizard master's kid, oh. his, his kid's <laughs> parents were involved. That's why they pushed him off the bridge. Imagine the Wizard Master's uh, parents, like, making Molotov cocktails and stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so Dr. Gordon, he tells Nancy about what the nurse has said, and she's like, if what your mysterious nurse has said is true, I think there's one person out there who knows where Freddy is, and we're going to go find him. And it is John Saxon living at a bar basically he's just a bum at this point i like how when you first see him it's like oh he's still got his police uniform on but then you see that's just got a security yeah. thing on it so yeah. like his you know he's he's gone full paul blart mall cop at this point oh to say that because he looks so cool still well yeah because john saxon's just a cool guy but i will say john saxon holy shit can this guy act drunk the way he slurs his words mm-hmm. it's like incredible i mean you'd think you're watching jan michael vincent or, or somebody like it feels so real this feels like such authentic drunk acting you think you're watching dean martin <laughs> well dean martin was also an actor like dean martin was not a drunk that was just like how he played all the time yeah jan, jan michael vincent was an, was a real drunk that's why I bring up him. <laughs> He oh, no. drank himself to an early grave, but oh, no. I mean, that's what it looks like John Saxon would be doing here, but he's excited to see Nancy. But then when Nancy is talking about, Hey, we need to talk about Freddie. Then he's like, Oh shit. He's like, ah, he's dead. You never, you never understood that. And then Dr. Gordon gets paged and they get a phone call from the hospital. It's, it's Taryn on the other line saying that Dr. Sims is not only putting Kristen in the quiet room, but she's going to sedate her as well, thus leaving her susceptible, immediately susceptible to Freddie. Mm-hmm. So their plan is have Nancy go back and try to find a way to save Kristen. And Dr. Gordon's got to deal one-on-one with John Saxon, this guy who is very drunk and much bigger than him and could probably beat the shit out of him no matter how intoxicated. And also, <laughs> for all he knows, you're just like some 45-year-old guy who's dating his daughter, yeah. too. Because that's like kind of what it looks like. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. But there is a great bit, right, where he where he comes back to the table and he's like, he goes, my name is, you know, whatever, Gordon. There, now now I've introduced myself. And he yeah. flips the yeah, table. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, he asserts himself right away. And then he makes him go there. They're in the car. He takes his flask and goes and gets holy water. Mm-hmm. And then they stop at a junkyard with, like, thousands of cars in them because apparently that is where Freddy is buried somewhere. So meanwhile, Nancy arrives back at the hospital, is able to trick Lawrence Fishburne into thinking she's just going to say some final goodbyes to her kids who i mean if you're like an orderly at that hospital you can tell those kids love her so like you know yeah she she also worked there for like two days though that's true that is true but listen (laughs) let's not forget that let's not forget that if you're Lawrence fishburne Kristen was ready to slit your throat with that scalpel before nancy stopped her so that is true maybe yeah so 
they do another group group hypnosis where they all go to sleep and they said, okay, we're going to end up with Kristen here. And they all appear in the quiet room with Kristen. They seemingly saved Kristen, although, you know, Freddy is still lurking and ready to attack. But now they have to go and find Joey as well. So they all kind of end up getting split up. Kristen ends up basically in the opening scene of the movie again. Same exact interaction. The mother coming home, telling her to go to bed. The man that she brought home that we didn't see in the opening scene asks her where the bourbon is again. And then this time, when she doesn't respond, then she gets her head cut off. And Freddy <laughs> shows up in a tuxedo. He's like, I said, where's the fucking bourbon? <laughs> And again, he's holding um, Kristen's mom's head, and Kristen's mom's head is yelling at her. By the way, I want to say something about Freddy in this movie, or Robert England, or I don't know who to complain about here. Why does Freddy's audio sound weird? Did you notice that? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like warbly sometimes. Yeah, the, the quality isn't there, and I wonder if they're just doing effects to make his voice deeper, that it kind of just harms the quality. I don't remember noticing this in the other movies, which is why I bring it up here. I think... I think if, they if that's are, just a thing with Freddy, you know, whatever, but... Yeah, and, and they must be, because he's got that kind of deep, gravelly, like, bitch, <laughs> you know? So it's got to be the, yeah. whatever effect they're layering over top of that. I feel like I remember them achieving that same kind of vocal sound without it sounding so kind of dirty and messy and not super high quality. So I don't know what it is, but Freddy sounds a little weird. And this is going back to why... It's hard to tell he's saying welcome to primetime, bitch, if he indeed is saying that. Come to primetime, bitch. So Nancy and Freddy kind of have a little fight, and then her stuntman does the little (laughs) kicking up on the wall and flipping over him. And then, so Kristen ends up with Nancy. But then we also have Taryn in an alleyway, and I love this set. I love all the lighting and everything here. Yeah, yeah. It screams movie set. It screams movie set, dirty alley, but it's but I still like it. Like it still feels real enough and it just looks cool. And she runs into Freddie and they have a little fight with her knives and his finger knives. And then he eventually reveals that all of his fingers are needles and he's going to give her that high that she has wanted since she's been off drugs. And then there's a really nasty shot of her, like, looking down at her, what do they call those, pock marks or something? Her little tread marks? Is that what they say? Like the... Oh, what? The, the heroin the, users, like, I, the marks I, that they I have on I would call there. them, yeah, pock marks, tread marks. Yeah. Those things, they're like mouths. They're, like, opening and closing. It looks really nasty. And then Freddy stabs her with those and injects whatever the hell he has in them into her, killing her. Good scene. Very... Sad way to see Taryn go out, because Taryn's pretty awesome. Yeah, I feel like at this point in the movie, like, a lot of people kind of get killed off rather quickly. You know, I would have liked to see it kind of drawn out more, like we saw with Philip and stuff like that. Well, yeah, it, but it's just, at this stage in the movie, we can't... There's no the time to act, draw right? it. I mean, exactly. Because uh, the, the very next scene is Will finally getting killed. <laughs> this scene, I don't like it really at all. Freddy sees him in a long hallway. He, uh... Sends, like, a spiky wheelchair his way, and then <laughs> Will does the stupid, in the name of whatever, Prince of Elves, and, and he's like, I'm the wizard master. And he's got, like, a Dracula cape on all of a sudden, and he just looks like a pathetic child. And then Freddy picks him up, and before he kills him, he says, sorry, kid, I don't believe in fairy tales. And it's like, okay, that's that's all right. Yeah, and then he stabs him. <laughs> it's kind of a lame death, but, you know, but, at least... You know, he kind of at least Freddie got to share my opinion 
with yeah. stupid fantasy crap. <laughs> I feel validated by Mr. Kruger. <laughs> I feel validated by Freddy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nancy and Kristen are together, and then they meet up with Kincaid, who basically just busts down a wall because he is this big, strong guy in the dreams. And then they go to save Joey, and they do so in like a, I guess kind of like a boiler room set, but really just like a fiery industrial kind of Yeah, that's thing. what I would describe it as, yeah. A fiery industrial and set. Again, awesome set. They say, Kruger, let him go. And he's like, your wish is my command. So they, so he lets go, go of Joey. Joey's about to fall in this giant pit of fire. But Nancy saves him, holds on to him. Kincaid helps bring him up. And this is all while Kristen is doing some Jumkata, some sick Jumkata moves <laughs> on Freddy. They're fighting. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the junkyard... The body of Freddy has been discovered. They've dug a hole. Nancy's dad has tried to leave already, but uh, but Dr. Gordon wisely held on to the keys to make him stay and help. So they've got a hole. They're ready to bury these stupid bones. But Freddy knows this, and Freddy leaves the dream world and enters into the skeleton Freddy. And we have a pretty awesome Jason and the Argonauts fight. Yes, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> You know, we, we just did the Terminator, and it's similar to that because it's 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 a big stop motion fight scene. You know, with the with the, like robot skeleton, the robot that looks like a skeleton, or the skeleton here. For whatever reason, I like it a bit more in this, and I'm not sure why that is. Because this movie is all about fun, in a sense, yeah, like, maybe for, for the audience member to have fun. But I I looked into it. It does appear to have been the same stop motion effects guy working on both this and the Terminator. So maybe wow. just three years later, he's perfected his craft just a little bit more. I don't know. But Nancy's dad gets killed because he gets thrown onto like some kind of metal thing that stabs through him. Dr. Gordon is knocked out and thrown into the grave and... The Freddy skeleton is starting to bury him, but then he goes back to the dream world to continue harassing the kids. There was also a bit where when Nancy stabbed him with a big pole, he pulled it out and was basically unaffected by it. And she's like, "Why you're so strong. You're so, so stronger than you used to be. And he reveals that the souls of the children he kills make him strong. And he rips off his shirt and he's just got people's warped faces on his stomach in the, like the burn marks and stuff. And Really creepy, really cool, really creative, really weird and gross stuff. I was hoping to rip his shirt off and he have like a pristine like six pack, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great. The Elm Street movies, especially from here on out, because this is the movies are really huge now and they're dealing with bigger budgets. The Elm Street movies are, are kind of like a special effects showcase of like some of the best horror makeup effects people. One of the Jaegers did the Freddy face makeup for this movie i think maybe the same guy that did the second there's kevin yeager and chris yeager i assume they're brothers uh they've been involved in like child's play like all this stuff screaming mad george is involved in this film i'm willing to bet based on the other screaming mad george works that i've seen him do that he probably did the stomach here because that just seems like a very Screaming Mad George. Screaming Mad George is like really into like body horror stuff. That seems like something out of society. So that feels like it's Screaming Mad George. <laughs> yeah. The four surviving teens, and this is of course including Joey, get into a hall of mirrors. And Kincaid, Nancy, and Kristen, and I guess Nancy's not a teen now that I mention that, get pulled through the mirrors by Freddy when Joey is just cowering in a corner and eventually screams so loudly that all the mirrors break and Freddy has to let them go. 
So they all fall out of the mirrors, and Kincaid says to him, you found your dream power. So I guess his dream power is he can talk, even though he could talk. <laughs> the whole time. Because we were told he used to talk. <laughs> it's just for Joey's, Joey's a frustrating character. He's not as bad as Will, because he's not as much a loser, but he's frustrating. <laughs> His poor wheelchair kid. We're really ragging on him. It's not about the wheelchair. The wheelchair, if anything, that makes me more sympathetic for him. But just don't be such a loser, kid. I mean... (laughs) So after they think Freddy's been defeated, I guess, and then Nancy's dad shows up and tells her that, hey, I've passed on, sweetie, but I wanted to apologize for how I've treated you. And she goes to hug him. And then it's revealed, of course, that it is Freddy. I feel like Nancy should have seen this coming. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Nancy. You dumb bitch. Bitch. (laughs) Yeah. So Freddy stabs her, and then she falls to the floor, and Freddy is attacking Kristen. Joey and and Kincaid are locked out, so it's just Freddy versus Kristen. He's overpowering her, about to kill her, when Nancy gets up and stabs Freddy with his own glove, which is great. She falls back down, so there's there continues to be a struggle. But meanwhile, back at the junkyard, Dr. Gordon is able to will himself to get up where he pushes the bones into the grave and then pours holy water on it and then blesses it with the cross. And then in the dream world, we see just rays, beams of light emanating from Freddy as he's like dissolves and stuff with this. There's a really cool, when, when he puts the crucifix on him you just see like a cross cross shape on freddy's forehead coming out of like a cross shape of light which is really the power cool. of jesus exactly freddy is defeated Kristen or nancy dies in Kristen's arms and then we see the at the funeral nancy's funeral which maybe it's taryn's funeral also hopefully will didn't get a funeral but <laughs> okay <laughs> dr gordon's there and then he again wanders off because he sees that none and he goes to where she disappeared to, and he's looking at a grave of Amanda Kruger, a.k.a. Sissy, Sister Mary Helena. A.k.a. woman that was raped hundreds of times yes. by hundreds of people. Or maybe just Robert England hundreds of times. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then in the very last scene of the movie, Dr. Gordon sleeps in bed. He's got Nancy's Malaysian dream doll as well as Nancy's popsicle stick house in his room when the light in the house turns on, the light in the, in the miniature house turns on. It almost would have made more sense if it was Kristen, but yeah, the Malaysian dream doll, she, he was the only one that saw that. So anyways, that is how the movie ends. We get the credits to Dream Warriors by Dokken and Jim. What did you think of this movie? This movie, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors, is such a fun movie. I hadn't seen this movie in a long, long time, and I'm not a huge fan of the Elm Street series. I don't really, you know me, I'm not super into horror or whatever. But this is like a... It's a great series. It's one of the few horror series where I can look at it and say it's got like three legitimately very good movies. And this is definitely one of them. I guess you can say it about the George Romero zombie series, if you consider that a series, Mm. but the Evil Dead series. But yeah, this movie is just so much fun. It's got an interesting plot, interesting characters, except for Will, obviously. All the Freddy stuff is great, but the real exciting thing about this movie is the effects. Just every time Freddy does something, it's usually pretty cool, you know? And I guess as you were saying, this series turns into kind of like an effects extravaganza. It's just, it becomes a series to show off these effects. Freddy's death scene in A Nightmare on Elm Street 4 is probably the greatest collection of practical effects talents that's ever been assembled for a film. And it's just 
for a stupid scene where Freddy dies, but it's amazing. <laughs> like that that movie's not great, but you can definitely just appreciate the effort that goes into those effects even. And and same with everything in this movie. Everything just looks so interesting, you know, and you have to keep reminding yourself these are practical effects. And the set design too. It's it's more than just the practical effects. It's just the entire look of the movie because the the sets, the dream sets, the 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 abandoned 1428 Elm Street house, which just looks like a classic haunted house kind uh-huh. of thing. All the stuff with that that fiery industrial, like it just all the sets look awesome. This might be my favorite horror movie we've covered on this podcast in the three years that we've been doing this. I just that's, had so much fun watching it. I think it's a fantastic I mean, movie. Yes, and and see, I wouldn't go that far because well, one, I do I do prefer the original Nightmare on Elm Street, but this movie, I mean. As I said earlier, if you say this is the best movie in the series, I'm not necessarily going to say, like, oh, my God, that's a terrible opinion or something. I just personally don't share it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure two weeks from now my opinion will change, but as of right now, fantastic Yeah, it's movie. going to change when we cover Puppet Master 3, Toulon's Revenge. That one's a classic. <laughs> Great. It's awesome. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, uh, as, as a fan of the franchise, uh, what are your opinions? Well, I like it quite a bit. This movie... Is it, like, one of the greatest sequels ever? Like, is it in that Terminator 2, Return of the King, Godfather 2 conversation? No, probably not. But it's one hell of a sequel. And what I like most about it as a sequel, especially given that the second movie in the series, Freddy's Revenge, had basically had, like, no continuity with the original, to step back into the lives of Nancy and her father, I think his name's Donald. I don't think you say his name in, in this movie, but I think his name, he's Lieutenant Thompson in the original, but now he's just a security guard. So he's just John Saxon. But I love seeing how they've changed. These two people that have reacted to the events of the first film in completely different ways. Nancy mm-hmm. has become stronger and she's been emboldened by her experiences and she wants to help others. That's why she's doing all this dream research she's trying to save the same save and help the same people that are going through what she went through and her dad has become weaker he's become broken by the events of this and i mean who can blame him his ex-wife got turned into a blow-up doll and squeezed it through pulled through a door at the very end of the first movie like (laughs) i think that's traumatizing to anyone but i love what the movie does with those two characters because it does it redeems her father, even though he has been broken by these events because he eventually is heroic. And then, you know, Nancy didn't need any redeeming, but she's heroic as hell in this movie too. So I love what it does with those characters, but regardless of that, regardless of it like as a sequel, because I think it's a very good sequel, it's just a good movie. The effects, as you mentioned, are awesome. My favorite being the vain marionette stuff. Um, I just think that's so disgusting and creative and awesome i also forgot to mention there's a great effect that i really liked it was when i forget who it was was it Kristen? right before she gets pulled back into the dream after she's already in the hospital that little red tricycle is wheeled into the room oh yeah and, and then, then it, it like and then it gets really hot and then it like crushes itself under its own weight freddy worm's awesome supposedly they had to like repaint it because it looked way too phallic originally the way it was <laughs> Um, they're like, yeah, that just looks like a giant penis. We have to really do something they're with like, that. They're like, we painted it pink with a red head. Why did we do that? But yeah, the effects are wonderful. The characters really are awesome. And yeah, I know Will and all that. But characters are fun. They're easy to root for. Kincaid, Taryn, 
Kristen. Kristen, by the way, I mean, Patricia Arquette, very good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Probably the best performance in the movie. When she's panicking, screaming, crying, she's really, really good. All the scenes where she has all this, like, affection for Nancy, whether it's when Nancy's dying or when they're just, like, talking about the dreams and about how she pulled her into a dream, all that stuff feels really real. It feels like she she's known her for more than two days or however long she knows her, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I just think it's an excellent film. It really is. I, I find it so entertaining. It's just a lot of fun, as you were saying. I think I slightly prefer 99% serious Freddy, so I think I kind of prefer the Freddy we see in the original, Mm -hmm. which I suppose is also the Freddy we see in the second one, although he's doing, because he's not, he's trying to get someone else to kill for him, so it's a little different, but this is, we're making Freddy more comedic, which, you know, maybe it's bound to happen, but I, I do prefer a more serious Freddy, but I think as far as a Freddy who's out there cracking jokes, I think this is easily the best Freddy that we get. Excellent film. I'd recommend it to anyone who likes horror movies, anyone who likes slasher movies, anyone who likes watching a good creative movie, this visual creativity and all the sets, the transitions to dreams and stuff. I think that's the big selling point. If you want to sit down and watch a creative, interesting movie, watch this. That's one of the selling points of, of the Elm Street series. You know me. I love my... Friday the 13th movies for their lack of creativity. I love The Burning, how just uncreative that... Or not not The Burning, sorry. Well, I do love, love The Burning, but The Prowler. The Prowler yes, yeah. is absolutely not being creative at all, and it's just out there, and, it, and it, it excels at what it is. But these Elm Street movies, always a little bit more ambitious. It doesn't always work, but when it works, it really works. These are, these are fun movies. I mean, you love Sleepaway Camp, you know, and... Uh... I love I love it because it's so weird, you know, to have a forty five year old cook openly talking about how he's into nine year old kids on their first day <laughs> at camp. Like that, <laughs> I like the weirdness yeah. of stuff like that. Well, you know, it's a movie that neither of us love, but uh, for some reason I did love about three years ago. In Seminole. Hey man, I don't think I've given my opinions on this film yet. Oh what in Seminole? Oh, I know yeah. what it's gonna be. We- <laughs> All right, all right. You may be surprised, but okay. But yeah, Inseminoid is a Roger Corman film in every way except for the part where Roger Corman had nothing to do with this film, <laughs> right? Because this was yeah. this was what Corman was doing in the early 80s. He did Forbidden World. He did Galaxy of Terror. It was movies like this. And supposedly I read that Corman liked this movie so much he wanted to work with this director. The guy, the director, Norman J. Warren, he sent a copy to the head of Fox, who wrote him back, said, I like your movie a lot, and I hope it gets great success. That sounds like one of those, like, auto-generated responses, like, that you'd send to, like, a kid when the kid asks for your autograph. Oh, yeah, you're doing a great job. I love this script. Let me read it for you. And then you're just like... It was very good. Thank you for sending it to me. Good luck with everything. Well, Inseminoid came out... I'm 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 not reading all that, but I'm really sad... That, that all that happened, or glad. Depending yeah, exactly, on, yeah. exactly. So I think it in Seminoid was released in 82? 81, at least in the UK. Okay. But I did see 82 on maybe it was Round Tomatoes or Letterboxd or something. This had a different title in the US. It was Horror Planet. Yeah, super Which is a generic creative. as hell name. I understand why you're trying to distance yourself from Inseminoid, because it just sounds <laughs> disgusting. But. Well, it was supposed to be called something else. I forget. Like, the original script was called something else. I forget what it was, but then they changed it to Inseminoid. 
It was directed by a fellow named Norman J. Warren, who only made nine films between 1968 and 1987. Now, I say only because the guy just died last year, and for the rest of his career, he didn't make another film. What was he doing? Co-directing. He was writing stuff. He wrote and directed a few commercials in the UK, stuff like that. But I'm going to give you one guess how he got into the directing business. How do you think he did it? I think he killed someone and, and then assumed <laughs> their identity. I don't know. What, where, where are we he going? got into into directing by directing sexploitation movies. Oh, of course. Yes, the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> everybody everybody did them in the 60s and stuff. Dude, right? and you're right. And, and both of these movies came out in 1968. They were called Her Private Hell and Loving Feeling. But after them... Which he... famously, the Righteous Brothers lost. <laughs> you're such an idiot. It's a lost film, that one. But no, it, you know, I haven't seen those. I've seen a few movies sort of in that in that vein. Um, there was a, it was a serious movement in the... Or serious, you know. It, it was a big deal in the 60s and 70s. These things that weren't quite porn, but were pretty close to it. And then some of them, some of the guys that made those kinds of exploitation movies, some of them ended up having pretty big careers in, like, traditional filmmaking in Hollywood mm-hmm. and... Many more of them didn't. Yeah, but. and this is one of them that didn't. Warren saved up his money after filming his second, or after directing his second sexploitation. He was like, look, I'm not I'm not doing this fucking disgusting, sleazy shit anymore. Uh, I'm going to save up some money and start to direct movies that I want to direct. So the first one he did with his own money, I believe, was called Satan's Slave <laughs> in 1976. And if you look at the poster, Patrick, you would be... Oh, yeah, you, I'm looking at the poster right now. Yeah, you would think it would be a sexploitation movie. Well, you know, that's just... A, I'm sure it's an exploitation movie. But I will say, like, um, I've seen a film called Satan's Slaves, plural. There was an original. I saw the remake of it. It's like, it, I think it's an Indonesian horror movie. It's like... The remake was awesome, oh, and okay. I think the original is somewhat of a classic too, but this, I guess, no relation to that. No, I would assume not. This movie, again, came out in 81 in, in England, but the movie that he directed right before Inseminoid was called Spaced Out, and it was a sci-fi sex comedy. So, you know, oh, he, yeah, I'm looking he didn't at stray that too poster, far from okay. his roots. Yeah. Well, this, getting back to uh, uh, Inseminoid, I got some more interesting facts, little factoids before we really get into I doubt it, but go ahead. Filming was done in England and Malta. In England, they filmed on various sound stages around London and stuff. And in the Chislehurst Caves in Kent, which is where pretty much everything in this movie shot, in these caves, which they really saved on budget with that. They had a secondary unit that went to Malta to film, like, the surface of the planet stuff and people walking around. I don't know why you had to go to Malta for that, but well, know. listen, listen. Not everybody. If you're in America, you just go to Death Valley. You just go to Bronson Cave or whatever. Or maybe that's not Death Valley, but Bronson Cave. That's where Kirk fights the Gorn. That's where like everything ever, everything low budget ever has been shot there. Yeah. If you're in the UK, you don't have access to those locations, so you got to find them in Malta, I guess. Well, right? I go to Spain. That's way closer, right? But yeah, but maybe it's not opinion. as maybe it's not as accessible. If you're driving all these trucks, you can just boat your way to Malta, right? I know you can boat to Spain too, but you, but if you're if you want to shoot in the desert, the Tabernas Desert, that's like in the middle of the country. You have to, there's still driving involved. I'm not going to argue this either way. Malta's further than Spain. The last interesting sure. thing you're going to find this interesting. A fellow by the name of Nick Malley, M A L E Y. He's probably Malley, but yes. He created these little alien babies and adult aliens that we see in the movie. But he's most famous for his work on Star Wars, apparently. 
he worked on a new hope and empire strikes back according to like imdb and stuff he he created yoda that's what they say but i don't think he did create yoda i think he worked on yoda okay well he's apparently was referred to as quote that yoda guy yes yeah well but he's also he's living in some far-flung country where he has a museum called that yoda guy museum or something (laughs) he's living living in the caribbean so i thought you were going to say he's living in some far far off country because he's like not paying taxes or he's like refusing he, he, <laughs> he fled some for legal issues or something but he's yeah, living so, with polanski somewhere <laughs> if he really did indeed create yoda or was influential in creating yoda that man has got a lot of royalties coming in from Baby Yoda, I would imagine. Yeah, well, he apparently he did work on the creatures in the cantina scene in A New Hope. And he was also like a makeup guy. He's makeup and special effects. So perhaps he was doing the, the painting on the Yoda puppet. I don't know. But the weird part is he wrote this movie. That's the He wrote in Seminoid. Uh, yeah, did he write all of it or does he just have like a writing credit on it? He has a, it's him and his wife. Or at least Gloria, I assume, is his wife. Maybe it's his sister. I don't know. I, I, I hope you're not writing a movie about alien impregnating oh, no. <laughs> an attractive young woman with your sister, but I'm also not sure you should be writing it with your wife either, so I don't know. But to actually get there, let's get into Inseminoid. So there's a team of 12 archaeologists. Okay, yeah, let's, let's slide into Inseminoid. <laughs> is that a better choice of words? Sure. <laughs> Far below the surface of a sub-zero planet, hidden in the freezing mists, something is watching. Something is waiting. Breathing quietly in the dark. Biding its time until the right human comes along. And then... Then it will strike. So there's this team of 12 archaeologists. They're excavating, I don't know, some culture of some peoples on some unspecified frozen planet. We're introduced to Dean and Ricky, who are exploring part of this cave system. And Ricky finds some strange crystals, and he's holding them. And Dean finds some wall carvings. But before they can analyze any of these things, this giant crystal wall at the end of this tunnel lights up and explodes, killing Dean and seriously injuring Ricky. So there's like a whole host of people. There's like a cast of like 20 fucking people in this movie. It's like alien on steroids for for the amount of people in this. And they all jump into action. Some people pull Ricky back into their archaeology station and they find that he's holding these crystals in his hand and they put them in a jar and move them to a lab to analyze them later. And then there's a fellow named Mitch who is an exo-linguist. And there's some, like, throwaway line that really isn't important at all, but it's semi-important, where he's looking at these wall carvings that they found after they're, like, clearing debris and stuff. And he's like, oh, it looks like this civilization was being ruled by twins or that this civilization was built on the concept of duality or, or dualism Yeah, or and they're like, oh, well, this place has, this planet has two moons, you know, maybe it has, or two suns, maybe it has something to do with that. And, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter at all, other than for the fact that there are two alien babies by the end of the movie. Can we talk about how this movie kind of has some real actors in it? Like, not so much people that you and I know, but Judy Geeson's not a nobody. 
I know her from, she's been in a few Rob Zombie movies actually recently, but, and then Stephanie Beecham was like a television star. She was on Dynasty and stuff like that. I mean, like all this stuff is after in Seminoid, but hey, it didn't kill her career. So, you know, she's also in, in one of the Hammer Dracula movies. I think it's uh, maybe Taste the Blood of Dracula, Dracula 80s, 1972 or something. I don't know. One of the not very good ones, but she's in one of those. The actors all seem like professionals. Like, I don't think anyone's like terrible. Arguably the best actor in this movie is Judy Geeson. Yeah, Judy Geeson is actually pretty good in this, I think. Yeah. Although she's got weird teeth. Well, yeah, it's all those cavities. She's got caps on them, right? Yeah, she's got the words. I mean, I know she's British, but my goodness. (laughs) I was going to make that joke, yeah. Yeah, so anyways, you've got like a million people in this movie. But to get back to the plot, people are trying to figure out what to do. They're just hanging out in this space station. And the next thing that happens is Ricky goes crazy. He's losing his hair. He's got like bubbling skin. Like it looks like he's suffering from radiation or something. He just runs out into the tunnel system and the crew can't get to him because he's left like this airlock door open so they can't open the door all so it'll just like evacuate all the oxygen, right? This is one of my favorite scenes. So they send this woman named Gail around to go close the door so everybody can go out. But Gail runs into Ricky and within sight of this door ricky shoves gail into like a scrap pile where her ankle gets caught in some metal scrap instead of staying calm and you know attempting to free herself she just goes into full crazy person mode and she well hang on hang on yeah yeah, yeah. she does but i'm gonna blame the others because they're communicating with her and that one guy i don't remember who it is like i don't remember these characters but one guy he's like trying to talk her through it but he's not being encouraging. He's like really like yeah. He, he's definitely fucking a dick. move it, lady. Like he's that that's sending her into a panic. That's well, why she cuts off her own foot or whatever. Okay. You know? Well, so you so you have all these people who are looking out this door at this poor woman who's just been caught in this scrap pile, and they're like, "Get to the door, open the door, Gail, open the door, come and open the door." And she's like, "I can't, I can't, my leg is stuck. I like, can't." You get stupid out. bitch! Stand <laughs> up. We know you can do it. Like it's all yeah. that stuff. It's like you are not helping. Guys. I know. I know. And then the guy who's like walking her through how to like do like her climate control temperature thing in her suit. He's like, come on, you can do it. Don't give up. It's up to you. If you fail, it's all on you, you dumb bitch. You know? <laughs> so she flips out and she lifts her mask, her like helmet and puts a tube in her mouth. Yeah. Like it, like an oxygen tube, I guess. And then she just starts hacking through her own ankle with like a mini chainsaw, like an electric She goes chainsaw. full Dr. Gordon. She freezes to death because of the atmosphere of this planet. But would she have made it anyways? No, no. She would have died from, you know, severe blood loss from hacking off an ankle with a chainsaw. Although the colder it is, isn't it the less blood you would lose? I guess so. But didn't they also say that it was negative 86 degrees Celsius on the planet or something like that? Okay, so it's Canada. Yeah, Yeah, it's northern Ontario. No, it's Yukon. No, it's it's not Ontario. It's it's somewhere. Somewhere far worse. (laughs) Somewhere far worse all of canada not to shit on all of canada i I think it's a fine country i guess it's the top 94 country in the world top 94 okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm not hey i'm not sure malta is in that top 94 so (laughs) it's something that's good yeah we at least we beat out malta while this poor woman gail is struggling there's another woman out and about named kate and she's trying to take photos of rock carvings, these relief carvings that they found in the tunnel. And she gets chased away by Ricky, who threatens to club her over their head with a rock. So she runs away. She makes it back to the base and finds poor dead frozen Gale. And then she closes the door so that the others can come out. 
but Ricky returns, opens the door again, and after Kate warns him a few times, she just shoots him in the chest with a harpoon gun and kills him. Which brings in to yeah. their Ricky problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, now when they're talking to her, it's like, ah, you didn't need to do that? Like, and she's like, no, you don't get it. I did. And they're like, ah, I, I don't think so. Yeah, well, the best part was <laughs> she shows up. She finds this poor dead frozen woman mid, mid-ankle mid cut. And everybody's like, Kate, Kate, you stupid bitch, close the door. That's <laughs> that dumb dead bitch. She died because she, she couldn't close this door. You got to come here and close this door. Hurry up and close this door. And she's like, uh, okay. <laughs> Like, it's such a weird movie. This is all a really, really long, complicated setup to what's essentially just a movie about alien rape, right? That's, yeah, yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I don't want to step on your foot here, although you probably want me to talk about this, but yeah, so, I don't know, why don't you get to the alien rape then? Okay, well, fast forwarding. Two other crew members eventually go outside after some humming and hawing, and one of their crew members is dismembered by this violent alien and then the other one is knocked unconscious and her name is sandy and when she wakes up she is naked and on like an alien operating table being oh yeah (laughs) injected with something in her arm and then she's inseminated with this long clear tube full of green liquid and then she passes out also we, we get a few brief glimpses of like aliens or like a, like an, an alien creature we get to see just like a couple little glimpses yes yes but she is being operated on by humans that's what it looks like but i think that's what her brain thinks like you know what i mean like she's got oh because it's a psychological film this is like yeah, a, oh it's very psychological yeah it's, it's a like psychodrama well, because the doctor, like the, the crew's doctor is shown like injecting something into her arm, but he wasn't mm-hmm. actually there. It was like, it was like a figment of her imagination, but something did get injected into her arm. And then she looks down and there's this great shot. <laughs> I'm not going to call it great, but like her legs part. And then there's an alien <laughs> yep, standing there. And it's a really weird alien rape insemination scene and it's very uncomfortable to be to be fair to be fair every alien rape insemination scene is weird right can we agree on that yeah uh, i mean uh, how often do you see this really not very often and there's a reason because it's all weird because i was getting reanimator flashbacks not that not that it's quite the same thing but there's a well but reanimator has some comedy in it there's there's a comedic well, element it does to it. and they also know when to end that scene before it becomes too uncomfortable yeah whereas poor judy geeson is writhing around on this table and moaning and being pumped full of this alien green goo so th- this is what i was going to bring up because it's a very strange scene i get why it's in this movie it's 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 the reason the movie exists i guess or it's it's it's, it's the reason it has that title yeah and it's the reason it's got that poster, because the poster is referencing this scene, obviously. Yes. Now, I want to read you this little paragraph from Wikipedia about somebody's... Can I, can I, just, say, yeah. can I just say one thing about the scene, first of all? Yeah, I don't like it, but it is disturbing and kind of terrifying. Like, this, this scene kind of works in its own way. Yes. I think even, like, there was some talk that they were originally going to use, like, a phallus to do this scene. Like a Freddy Warmer. Yeah, like a Freddy worm, but they knew that this movie would have had to have that part cut out of it. But there, I think something make uh, something about it being this clear tube with this liquid. It's a scientific device, yeah. Yeah, it makes it even more unnerving and gross. I think so. I think because it's again going back to it feels it's it's not just that an alien's raping her; it's that an experiment is being 
performed on her. Yes. Which makes it creepier, I think. It's, it's almost hard to watch, actually. And there's some other scenes in this movie that I found a little hard to watch. But I want to read you this. And this is kind of poking fun at, like, at, at m- movie critics or, or people who study film. Okay? So a fellow named Peter Wright believes that this scene that we're just talking about displays conflicting attitudes to reproduction. While the alien phallus promotes fertilization, Carl injecting Sandy's arm with a phallic hypodermic needle suppresses it. In a 1997 interview, Warren the director of the movie, said that the phallus was intended to be some kind of artificial insemination equipment rather than a penis, adding that for censorship reasons the impregnation scene was shot very impressionistically, to be like a dream. I know that if we had shot it straight, it would have played like a rape scene and been cut out, so it has this sort of abstract quality so that the censors didn't mind it. The point I'm making here is that you have a director of, like, sleazy movies shooting this scene, in his own words, impressionistically, to get around the censors. But a lot of people, like if you go onto the Wikipedia page for this movie, a lot of people have, like a lot of critics and film students or people who study film have these like big grand ideas about this scene and what it means. But this director was like, yeah, we just shot it like this so it would get around the censors. Well, sure, but but at the same time, a creator is not responsible for interpretations of his or her work, you know? I'll agree I with mean, that. that's 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 how that's we've had a century of criticism about that, where J.K. Rowling doesn't get to tell us this person was gay the entire time, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I listen. I I know what you're saying, but you know, if Alien is talked about as having to do with birth and impregnation, obviously because the chest burster and all that stuff, and it's like, why can't this movie be? doing some of that on a slightly sleazier scale like uh, this is i'm okay with reading something into this movie it's not it's not pure garbage <laughs> you're right it's, you it's know close. what like, this isn't a bad movie it's certainly not a terrible movie we've covered way worse movies on this podcast yeah, like spookies of course compared to those movies this movie is like an oscar nominee movie you know what i mean this is not a so, poorly made movie no, it really isn't. No. I mean, it, it's it's. I don't think it's a good movie, but I think it's just. I don't like the subject matter, and you know, the budget hurts the movie a bit too, because not a you know, it's a pretty cheap movie. You can tell, but I think it had a budget of like a million dollars, not even pounds. I saw a million pounds, but oh, okay. okay. With the alien rape scene out of the way, Sandy passes out kind of at the end of it. Sandy is in the medical center when she uh, regains consciousness and the crew doctor gives her the once over and he reports that she has a similar mark on her arm that Ricky had after clutching these crystals that he had that made him go crazy apparently. And she also also comments, listen, your teeth. It looks like she's just been chewing on Oreos a bunch. She's because her fillings are like all black, and she's yeah, she must have had like a shit ton of cavities. Yeah, yeah. And the that's... doctor is alarmed by her teeth. Yeah, <laughs> he's also alarmed. Or if that he isn't, apparently... I am. He also <laughs> he also appears to be alarmed that she's two months pregnant. But yes, let's talk about her teeth for a second because they're the real star of this scene. She does a lot of screaming throughout the movie. And it's where the camera is placed, looking down at her face when she's like lying down too that you see all up in those teeth. The camera is almost pointing down her throat and it's uncomfortable how often she's sure. screaming and how often the camera is aimed down her throat and we can see all of her fillings and all of her tooth problems. You could take an accurate cast of this woman's mouth without actually casting her mouth because of this movie. 
So she's two months pregnant with these alien babies that she just got a few moments ago. And then we kind of have like an unspecified amount of time float by and suddenly Sandy goes crazy and she stabs a crew member to death in the bathroom with a pair of scissors. Which, oh, by the way, apparently, like, she, whenever she kills somebody, she disembowels them and, like, drinks their blood or, like, eats their organs Yeah, or there's, like, a vampire quality to her, yes. I think it's touched on once, so and it doesn't do anything. So, anyways, that's not important, but she does it anyways. But she starts running around the facility chasing other people. The crew decides to barricade themselves in the control room, but then Sandy starts beginning... <laughs> she, she begins to start knocking out all these cameras around the facility like she's a little spy or something. So <laughs> I like their response to this, which is, how do we deal with Sandy? Well, we have explosives. Let's blow her up. But Sandy beats them to the explosives and she blows up their radio transmitter. So they can't even call for help. And then the alien possessed Sandy pretends that she's kind of come back to her own senses after she mm -hmm. blows up this radio transmitter. And she lures several crew members out to, to help her, one of which is the doctor. And while the doctor's checking her out, she flips out and kills both the doctor and this woman named Holly. Sharon, another woman, she runs back to the control room. So the new plan to take care of Sandy is to sneak up behind her <laughs> and kill her with these little electric chainsaws. But Sandy figures it out when, I think it's Kate, screams when she finds the body of Holly kind of strung up on a ladder. Sandy is then confronted by a guy named Gary. While Kate runs back to the control room, he lures her outside of the facility, hoping that she'll freeze to death. But she has no problem breathing in the atmosphere, and she grabs a, a harpoon gun and kills Gary. That's kind of the weird part of this movie. Like, uh, well, you know, because alien rape, right? That's the that's the, that's title the of big movie. weird part of this movie. Yeah. That's that's what the movie's called, Alien Rape, the film. But <laughs> ultimately, it's more alien possession. Really, it's like she just like is an alien in in a human body, and it's like okay, but did we need the rape to have that happen? You know? Yeah, I mean, it, it's almost like they didn't have the budget to make up a, a creature, so they had a person that was kind of possessed by an alien do all of this. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I I, I don't know, but I, I I think they ultimately go for uh, it's it's really it's kind of just a space vampire movie, really. Martin in space or something, <laughs> you know? I don't know. There's only three people left. There's Mark, who's like the leader of all of them. There's Sharon and Kate. Mark is laying out explosives in the base's tunnels to kill Sandy, I guess. But while he's doing that, Sandy is just screaming at the top of her lungs. And it turns out she's giving birth to a couple alien babies. And this scene is drawn out way too long. It's like five minutes of her screaming into the camera and pushing some alien babies out. We get a close-up shot of her thigh and this wet alien baby crawling out of her vagina which we don't see obviously it's i want to say it's tastefully shot but i'll say it's shot <laughs> you know it's it's shot to be not censored that's what it's that's how it's shot it's not taste there's nothing tasteful about <laughs> any alien thing in this movie but yeah I, I know what you mean yes yeah mark who has stopped laying explosives and has decided to go for a walk finds Sandy and these alien babies. He thinks Sandy's dead, but she's still alive. And she gets up and chases him around the base until she just gives up and collects all of the explosives that he's laid. And then she plants them on the door of the control room and blows it up, which is a really cool explosion. I'm wondering if that was like a full-sized explosion or if that was like a model explosion, you know? Probably a model, I would guess, but I agree. It looks good. Yeah, that might, that might be the best effect in this movie. And yes, uh, it is better than these alien babies. Well, in overall, I mean, this isn't a big, as far as, like, 
sci-fi alien monster movies go this isn't really a big effects movie it's not alien no and again it's got a small budget they're filming in some caves in kent (laughs) i'm sure they couldn't have done a lot of things that they wanted to do because i'm sure these caves are like some like national historic site or something the chiselhurst caves where they filmed yeah and during world war one they were used as ammunition storage so it's quite possible something has blown up in those caves whether it was for this movie or not (laughs) Or, and it's possible that that model explosion had to be used because they couldn't have exploded something in a cave that might have some ammunition in it still. Well, yeah, 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 that, <laughs> that, that as well, yes. Out of the three that are left, Kate is the next person to be killed, and she's killed when Sandy throws an explosion at her and detonates it, and then crushes her head, I assume? <laughs> Thro- throws an explosion at her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, throws an explosion at her. But yeah, and then we don't really see her die. She dies off screen, but I guess she got her head crushed by Sandy. I don't know. Mark and Sandy then begin fighting, and it's this long, drawn-out... Like, everything in this movie is so fucking drawn-out and long. When it doesn't have to be. We could have trimmed, like, 30 to 45 minutes out of this movie of, like, people walking and running around. But they're fighting. Eventually, Mark gets the upper hand, and he strangles Sandy to death with, like, some wires or, like, some cable or something. And he makes his way back to Sharon to tell him that he's won, and... <laughs> he finds one of these ugly alien baby puppets nibbling at Sharon's neck. She's dead. And then Mark turns and another ugly alien baby jumps out and the screen goes black. Then we get a hard cut to like an exploratory team or something landing on the planet and they're poking around the base and they see all the damage. And these guys look cool. They're wearing like jumpsuits with like motorcycle helmets that have teeth painted on them. <laughs> and, and they're uh, better looking teeth than than Judy Geese. Oh, uh, poor poor Mrs. Geeson. And uh, yeah, so they're like... Miz, I don't know if she's married. She, oh, she's got to be by this point. Uh, she hasn't been married since 1989 that she got divorced. Is she still alive? She is. Hmm. She's not even that old. She was born in 48. Long live the Geeson. I said I've seen her in Rob Zombie movies. I've seen her in some of the more recent ones. Like she's in uh, 31... And she was in Lords of Salem. So those are post, you know, House of 1000 Corpses. Those aren't the early Rob Zombie movies. So she's, as far as I know, still acting today. Wow. Yeah, good for her. Well, at the very end of this movie, these guys are getting prepared to leave because they don't find anybody. Everybody's dead. There's lots of damage. And the camera sits on, like, the captain of this ship, the pilot, and he's saying, he's radioing, he's like, yeah, we're gonna leave, and the camera starts to pan down this hallway to, like, a trunk, and not, like, a cool space trunk, but, like, an old trunk from the 70s that your grandparents would keep their clothes in, and we see the lid lift slightly, and there's these two alien babies that have snuck their way onto this ship. That's the end of a strange movie called Inseminoid. Patrick, since I'm the number one fan ever of this movie, how did you like this movie? It's not as bad as it could have been. It's not as bad as it probably should have been, honestly. I think it's reasonably well-made. I mentioned the acting is fine to decent. They're definitely not much of a budget. You know, the sets could be better, more interesting. The gore, while not bad, isn't... You know, the movie doesn't stand out because of the gore. It's not... uh, Because this is kind of an alien knockoff, right? The 1979 Scott film. Apparently, the script was written before Alien was released in the UK. All right, so they so they started making it because Alien, you know, came out. I mean that that happens, but like it's no Contamination, which is an Italian Alien okay. knockoff from director Luigi Cosi, which maybe you only watch it for the gore, but the gore is like enough. You know, this movie is nothing like that. Yeah, 
the movie is it's okay i mean it's i don't want to say it's inoffensive because it is kind of offensive but <laughs> it's not as offensive certainly as it could have been it's like i said it is not as disgusting as the title and poster would would have you suggest i'd say that scene the impregnation scene is a hundred percent kind of what you would expect from a scene like that but that's one scene mm-hmm. you know well i guess it's kind of two scenes because the birth but yeah it's not good I wouldn't really recommend this to many people, but it's relatively well done. It's not awful. You know, I, again, I don't know why I wanted to talk about this. <laughs> I don't remember what I what I liked about it the first time I saw it. I think you're right. It's not a good movie. It's definitely not it's a no bad Barbarella. movie. No, it isn't. Barbarella is great. For me, this movie was so long and slow, and I didn't remember that at all. Everything just took so much time to happen. Like, the plot points didn't actually start happening until at least 15 minutes into the movie. And I I know you always get that first 15 to set up, but it was just so damn slow. And if you're going to have an alien insemination movie with, like, an alien monster, have the insemination, and then 10 minutes later have the woman die from some alien bait. Like, you know what I mean? I would rather have watched a movie with these two little ugly, crappy alien twin puppets running around killing Yeah, the human is the monster for most of the movie, which is a little weird. Even when, like, the Ricky guy goes crazy, there's really no reason as to why he went crazy. We're not really shown why he went crazy. He got exposed to something. Well, yeah, well, there's the throwaway line that was like, oh, the crystals went into his hand. Maybe that's what made him crazy. You're like, okay, but why are crystals making people crazy? Listen, they're on an alien world. They don't know anything about this stuff. That stuff's fine. I guess so. I don't know. This was just such a weird... Weird stuff happens in Malta, man. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess I don't really have an opinion on this movie. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody, even though... (laughs) Even though you recommended it to me. Yeah, I don't know why I did. I honestly don't. I thought this was much better when I had recommended it. It's long, drawn out, boring, slow. The action's all right. I will say, though, I... uh, as opposed to you, I actually really like the sets. I thought they okay. did a great job, and I thought they utilized those. Listen, there's no really McDonald's well. takeout containers or whatever. It, yeah, what movie was, was that? What, what movie was that again? We did Forbidden World, but it was they were originally designed for Galaxy of Terror. It was like Chinese takeout boxes or whatever. Yes, yeah. I don't know. This is just kind of a crap movie. Give it a pass. It's a shame. You know what? But I I, I would compare this to those two Roger Corman movies, to Galaxy of Terror and Forbidden World. Galaxy of Terror I haven't seen in a long time. I know Robert England's in it, by the way. But Forbidden World we've seen not too long ago because we covered it this season. Forbidden World's kind of awesome. They've got that cool robot sidekick. I think this movie could have benefited from a robot sidekick of some sort. Yeah. It's got a lot of sex in that movie that's not, like, alien rape related, which is great. Uh, You know, Roger (laughs) Corman always, you know, he knew what he was doing there. And then also, it had the gore, and the monsters really worked in that movie that they don't really pull off here in in as satisfying a way. And again, I don't really remember Galaxy of Terror. I think Galaxy of Terror is pretty similar to Forbidden World, but I just don't know. I know they use the same sets. Well, you know, and I mean, building off that, Inseminoid would be so much better if they were just a little sleazier with it, you know? I'm torn, because you can do a movie like this Change the title. It's not in Seminoid. Change the poster. Alien rape. And it's just, it's just, no, it's just (laughs) alien possession. You just do a movie like that. You, so you could go less sleazy. 
You go more sleazy with it too, and that might make it more interesting, but I think I would probably like the less sleazy route more at any rate. Well, you know, the, the problem with this movie is that it's not a good movie, but it's certainly not a bad movie. It's a movie that's actually attempting to be, you know, it's attempting to actually break out of that B-movie tier. And it doesn't have the budget for it. All the acting is fine. The sets are fun, but there's no story there. Like, the story is just lacking. You kind of need to inject this movie with a bit of, like, stupidity. Like, if you wanted to make it interesting, that's when you add more nudity, weirder creatures more explosions i don't know there was just none of that there it was just a very kind of bland movie so in a quick quick and abbreviated research this movie does not have a critic score on rotten tomatoes you know i don't think any of us are shocked by that (laughs) i saw the audience score and i was trying to find out if that's the if it's the lowest we've had for any movie we've done because it's at 14 percent, which is really bad and so i looked up a few movies that I would expect to be to have very low critic scores, and I'm so far I haven't found anything lower. I found one that tied for it, and it's Vice Academy. Okay, but I got Ghoulies at twenty percent, Spookies at nineteen percent, Grizzly at thirty-one percent. This might be the most hated film we've done if we if we just go on Rotten Tomatoes audience scores. And you know, and again, it, it's a shame because it's not a terrible movie, but there's just it's nothing not. happens in it. Well, you know what? Who? Who watches Inseminoid and comes away giving it a bad review? Is it someone that wants to see alien rape and is disappointed because there's, because there's not that much of it? <laughs> or is it someone that just watches it because they like sci-fi horror and then they're like, oh, I could have done without the alien rape. Like, who's disappointed by Inseminoid, I guess, is my question. Yeah, I mean, because because there's nothing there. There really is nothing to be disappointed by. But I like the idea that... <laughs> That there's a guy writing a bad review. He's like, oh, there wasn't enough alien phalluses in this film. There are weirdos out there. I know some of them. I think <laughs> our friend Feck might be one of them. I don't know. I mean, you know. Take that, Feck. Listen, he's a Ghoulies fan. Ghoulies is at 20% audience score, so. Yeah, well, you know. I can officially say I'm no longer an Inseminoid fan. I, I don't know what I was thinking. It's not good, but it really isn't that bad, and it, it tries... It's got real actors in it who are giving it their all in a film that probably doesn't deserve, quite frankly, the performances that it has. The director was even saying how much he enjoyed working with Judy Geeson because he was like, this woman gave it her all. Because he got to rape her in the film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) Got to inject her with the... He was like, this woman gave it her all in such a demeaning role. And I have great respect for her because of that. Okay, so that's interesting that he was conscious of how demeaning that, that role is because it really is yeah because i know I, I i think that's somewhat what Stuart gordon had to say about barbara crampton in reanimator he's like yeah i had her in a very 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 uncomfortable scene mm-hmm. and she was a true professional about it and the two of them continued working you know long after that you know he puts her in from beyond immediately after and but yeah it's a very bland movie and i think with that i would like to know which one you like better patrick <laughs> A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. We get less rape. We get more impressive effects, more impressive sets. Maybe not better acting, but not considerably worse acting, I don't think. I mean, Patricia Arquette's great. Robert England is always, will, will always be Freddy. It's just a much better movie. It's entertaining all the way through. And Seminoid didn't really 
bore me so much, but it's just not very good. Jim, what about you? I agree wholeheartedly with what you said. Well, can you mind coming up with an original thought for once? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Speed me. No, I, I mean, really the big thing is the difference is you have one movie that is so creative and exciting. Sure. To, to watch things happen on screen. You have these amazing practical effects, you know, mm-hmm. that really kind of carry this movie along, but works like everything about A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 just throws the movie along like you're on a like you're on a fast train flying down a track. You know, that, that's what it feels like. Things are happening. Plot is moving forwards. All these cool effects are adding to this to this movie. You know, and, you know what? We have we have a word for. Well, sometimes it's two words, but we have a word for a fast train moving down a track. Roller coaster. <laughs> okay, it's a roller coaster ride. Yeah. But it is, though. I mean, you're not it wrong. It is. It is. And you have, like, the effects in A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Like, that's actual movie magic. You know what I mean? Like, you're watching this movie thinking, like, holy shit, how the hell did they do that? The veins, Freddy popping up through the TV is awesome. I mean, yeah. for Freddy in general, just the look of him, whether it's the soles on his chest or just the burn makeup look on his face, I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And then you have a movie that tried to... I don't know if it tried to say something, but it definitely tried to be no. a movie. But yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. It tries and it pulls it off mostly. Yeah, but the most. I mean, it, and you know what? It pulls it off 100%. It's a real movie. It's just not that good. No, exactly. It's not like Ed Wood or like, oh my God, what the hell is this? You know, it's nothing like that. It's a real movie. It's not an amateur production. It's just not a great production. Exactly. It, it, it's It's not absurd, nor is it exciting. It just kind of exists in this in this bland gray colored space, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Where characters run around in circles or down hallways or up hallways, cut off their own foot. It's just so long and drawn out. And again, these I'm not going to say the aliens look bad, but you don't see a lot of them, and there's a reason for it because they look kind of silly. So, Jim, what do you think of this as a drive-in double feature? The blandness. <laughs> of Inseminoid really sucks all the life of Elm Street from this double feature. Want to suck the face? No. So you're saying it's a bad one? Yeah, I'm saying it's a bad one. It's All right, because I'm, 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 I'm thinking a little creative here. I, 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 I Well, go on. I, I cut you off. I'm sorry. Well, no, I didn't have much else to say. I was just going to say, you know, you have something that is, is such an exciting watch, literally thrilling in many cases, and then this bland British movie set in a cave system (laughs) no it's not really a good double feature but i do like that you know we talked about in seminoid and uh judy geeson kind of a demeaning role in a lot of ways i mean we're making fun of her teeth of course but really the film is doing far worse to her well and she's beautiful as well by the way no honestly just go to judy geeson's wikipedia page that look that she had or whatever i I assume that's the 60s early 70s gorgeous woman Mm -hmm. but Elm Street 3 is kind of like the opposite, you know, because there's always been this thing in horror movies or slasher movies in particular. Yeah, there women are being exploited in these films and it's a lot of them. They get naked and they do all this stuff and then they act like idiots in the movie and then they get killed. And then a lot of people will fight back and say, yeah, but it's always the woman that survives. It's always the men that die. And it's like, yeah, but that's not necessarily it can be both, right? Because yeah a lot of times yeah the men die 
and maybe the women died too, but it's like, oh, more men died in this movie. It's like, yeah, but the men weren't naked for five minutes running around. You know, like they're, they're, women can kind of be demeaned in, in some of these movies, even if ultimately the survivor is a woman, the, the hero is a woman. Elm Street 3 kind of avoids all of that crap. Nancy is such a strong character, and in this case, Kristen as well. I don't want to say it's like the pure and total opposite of Inseminoid, but I do think it's like, it, it is interesting to see that this, they're not, you know, they're both horror movies, but they're not in, within the slasher genre, but you do see a, a very good positive representation of, of like what women can, what a, a woman, a female role can be in a horror movie. And then you see a movie that has a woman go get tortured and go through hell and get raped by alien insemination and all this stuff. It's like, eh, it's kind of unfortunate. But yeah, it's not a great double feature, but I do like that dynamic that you can kind of compare those two movies on that level and see which one just pulls it off much better. Yeah, well, and, and they're both horror movies because one is, you know, an Elm Street movie that does scares really well, and the other one is just horrible. Oh, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Jim, you want to know what we're doing next week? Patrick, always... Well, next week, Jim, we are doing Dirty Harry, a classic action film from 1971, director Don Siegel starring Clint Eastwood, and we are doing Death Stalker 2, <laughs> the superior Death Stalker film, the greatest Death Stalker film that will ever be, Death Stalker <laughs> 2, a movie that I've seen once or twice, and I'm not sure how much of it is supposed to be a joke, but it's an amazing <laughs> watch at any rate. Uh, we've had Jim Wynorski as a screenwriter a few times. Uh-huh. We're about to see what he can do as a director with Deathstalker 2, so that's exciting. Not much. That's <laughs> Well, hey. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's up there with Return of Swamp Thing as his best film, I think. So. Well, I really like Filthy Hair or Filthy Harold a lot, and I can't wait to uh Have you ever seen Dirty O'Neill? Dirty O'Neill? <laughs> There's a seventies movie and I assume they were just I don't know if it's a true Dirty Harry knockoff but the title is definitely a dirty hairy <laughs> ripoff it's just called dirty o'neill <laughs> like the 1974 <laughs> or something and i'm just like what the hell is that i kind of want to see uh, it gross so yeah dirty harry death stalker 2 that's what we've got going on next week please join us then death stalker 2 is a very very fun b movie and dirty harry is awesome of course absolutely can't wait